A few months ago, I re-entered a stage of my life that felt so familiar, but was so foreign. The talking stage. For context, I'm 21. The last time I've been here, I was 18, and the last time before that, I was 16. So while the core themes of having a crush are the same, the joy, excitement, adversity, and heartache, but I've noticed there are so many differences now as a woman in her 20s. We often hear dating in your 20s is the trenches, but to what degree is it the trenches and are there any ways we can untrenchify the situation to make it a more enjoyable experience? Well, we've got so much to unpack, so grab a snack, grab a drink, and let's get to it. Hey everyone, I hope you all had the most wonderful festive season. I've missed you all very much. I haven't seen you in two months, so we have a lot of tea to spill today. But first and foremost, I hope nobody here listening, Merry Christmas or Happy New Year their way back into an ex-partner or ex-situationship's life because that's not the energy we are bringing into 2024. In 2024, I'm manifesting that we are all intentional with our time, intentional with our energy and the people that we choose to spend it on, and that is not an ex-situationship or an ex-partner. But if you did, then you're also forgiven because it happened technically in 2023 and you are excused because summer is the time for loving and fun and doing things for the plot. So it's not that bad. It's also not that deep. Have I ever Merry Christmas my way back into someone's life? Yes, many, many, many years ago. Was it a success? No, we, we went out for a meal together and basically I'd wanted to get lunch with this person for a really long time and I didn't know how to ask or how to bring it up. So I just waited for Christmas to come around and then waited to send that Merry Christmas text and then asked them out for lunch. But it was not a success. I realized like during that day, during that like date kind of situation that we were better off as friends. So yeah, in my defense, it's not really like I Merry Christmas my way back into their life because we never dated. Um, and it also like this whole situation says a lot about my Riz and my ability to ask people out because it only happens once a year and that's on Christmas. So basically once a year max. The other thing about Christmas is it's during summer here and summer is the time for exploration and conquering, not settling and consolidation. In my opinion, and in general, I feel like this applies to friendships, new friendships, new goal setting, and especially romance. Every time I have ever started talking to a new person or said yes to a date, or even that time I initiated one, it was during the summer. 
I don't know, maybe it's when the sun comes out and my winter blues are gone. It's the only time I'm even open to the idea of new men. It's like, it's like a job opening that only recruits employees during three months a year. So for example, if I was single in the summer of 2024, and if hypothetically someone wanted to ask me out on a date, but chickened out and, you know, end of Feb rolls around and they still haven't, job applications have closed and they basically have to wait until summer 2025 to even have a slither of a chance to ask me out and like not immediately, you know, and I wouldn't immediately say no. I'm not even kidding. Like I don't write these rules. They write themselves. It's just my annual body clock. This doesn't mean that like If I'm in a relationship, then the summer rolls around and I'm like, no, this person is cancelled from my life. Like, that's not the case. Obviously, I have the capacity to be in long-term and committed relationships that are more than a year long. I'm just saying, if something new is happening, it has to be during the summer. So, yeah. Which is why I understand why people marry Christmas their way back into other people's lives. Because it's during the summer. It's not because I can't stand romance during the winter. It's just blossoming romances are strictly a summertime occasion. Like there are some music festivals that only happen during the summer. And that's, you know, that kind of vibe. Anyway, um, one of the updates that I have is that I started placement for the year. And to be honest, I'm really struggling. I think... Over the summer, I got so used to being healthy and happy from the volume of self-care that I was doing all summer. Basically, I was spending at least three hours a day minimum doing things like reorganizing my room, journaling, picking songs that I like on Spotify, doing my skincare, listening to audiobooks. And over the summer, I got so used to feeling extremely happy and extremely content at home. And now I have to limit all these activities so significantly. I can't spend my day scrolling Pinterest for Spotify playlist covers or spend five hours at a bar drinking wine and journaling with my friend. I I can't go out for like dinners as often as I would during the summer. And so... I've been trying my best to stay balanced and I do things like I, instead of being able to do it all day in the summer, I schedule at least one dinner with a friend every week and I try to go to Pilates and the gym twice a week and I meditate and journal every Friday instead of like every day. And this is like to some degree, it has been successful because I still put in a lot of effort to continue to live the life that I had during the summer. But of course, now I've got other priorities too, like placements and allocating time to study when I come home from the hospital. And I do love placements. I think it's like one of the really great ways to learn, of course. And, you know, you need clinical experience. But I think the the sudden start back into it was a bit rough. Um, and another update is I recently went on a date. Oh my God. I mean, this is part of like, you know, what we're talking about. And it's also part of the whole like podcast as well. 
So I recently went on a date with the loveliest man. He picked me up. He organized the whole thing. It wasn't our first date. So we'd been on a couple of dates before, by the way. Um, he researched heaps of places for us to go to. I seriously felt so pampered the whole time. But I'm not even kidding. Guess what the, f- the first activity of the day was? It was a hike. And it was on the hottest day of that week. And I timed my hair wash schedule so that I would wash my hair the night before the date. So I would show up looking fab. And I did. I did show up looking fab. Until suddenly the next minute we were hiking this mountain and I was sweating. And my hair was unfabifying itself during the whole day. In like... To be fair, he did tell me we were going on a hike, so he gave me a huge heads up in advance and it was very sweet that he was putting effort into planning dates that were different from the normal dinner and dessert, you know. It's just that maybe it's a me thing. Oh no, actually it's not a me thing. I know it's like a thing that happens to some women, but as long as your hair is dirty or even like oily, Like, there's no way that, like, I could be in a good mood. I could be well-fed, well-rested, but still be in the foulest mood if my hair was kind of, like, yucky that day. Um, But the hike was a success. I did have to take breaks. Um, I took two breaks on the way up and no breaks on the way down. Um, But I managed the hike fine, actually. I was quite impressed with myself. It was the thousand steps in the dandy ranges if you've been before and you know it like it's not a hard hike but just the the heat that day was a lot right and also at that point I think we were maybe three or four dates in so it's not like someone I knew like someone who had seen me in the exercise and sweaty context before you know anyway I thought I would share some of the cutest things that he did just like for girl talk for tea time um and these things are relatively kind of interesting to talk about because they're things like I haven't really noticed or experienced before um and I wanted to share so the first thing was no like he notices very random things we were resting at the top of this mountain and he says did you paint your nails And I was thinking, oh my God, because I did, but like, what? Because I wasn't wearing nail polish. I was wearing top coat. And for those who haven't used top coat before, it's like, it's clear nail polish. So it's there to strengthen your nails. And like you put it on top of nail polish, but there's no color. It is trans, is it translucent or transparent? It's like, it's clear, but a little bit shinier than like a normal nail. And I had just applied it on the night before, part of my self-care routine. But I was like, how did this man notice? And I was taken aback because I received this comment from a man, you know. Like, women will notice each other's hair, eyebrows, makeup, earrings, outfits. But I feel like it's just maybe not in the radar. And, like, I am making a generalization. But it's just, from my experience, like not in the radar of a lot of men in my life maybe to to notice these things but I was taken aback and 
the only other time that like this has happened to me where I was taken aback was at the like this week after I had done my eyebrows and a friend said to me did you change your jawbone cheekbone structure um because I like it looked a bit different I think like for me when I do my eyebrows like it does change a lot of my face um that was really nice very dramatic but also very thoughtful I just I think it's very nice that he's paying attention to things that you know maybe he's like not normally noticed and I'm also making another sweeping generalization here but from what I have seen and not experience but from what I've seen a lot of men don't really get noticed or complimented on small changes they make to their physical appearance like if they did their eyebrows or if their muscles look a little bit bigger than what it used to because they've been going to the gym more often whereas women give and receive a lot of compliments because maybe it's just the way of womanhood like people are very comfortable and liberal with their compliments to each other and these small interactions are quite common I mean today I complimented my yoga not my yoga my Pilates instructor because her yoga flare pants and headband combo was so cute and so like epitome of a gen z Pilates instructor you know and then I've also like received similar comments about you know my outfits in public too but I think I just haven't seen a lot of like maybe men compliment each other on their haircuts and things like that so take note of your friends and your partner and if anything looks a little bit different their hair their skin their muscles their nails and you think it was a good change remember like this is an important part like it has to be a good change because if it's ugly then I'm saying silent but if it was a good change tell them I think Maybe they'll think about it as much as I'm thinking about this man noticing that I, you know, put gloss on my nails. The second thing is he turns his phone on D&D when we're on a date, um, which I love because I feel like I am getting his undivided, because I am getting his undivided attention. And as long as I'm with him, he's not really on his phone unless it's to take a picture of the food or the scenery And I know he's a busy person. He gets a lot of messages during the day, like from home as well as like from work. And I know when I'm not with him, he's on his phone quite a lot because his response time is fantastic. Literally record-breakingly fast. I I love it. Um, So it's not that he doesn't use his phone. It's just that he chooses not to because it takes away from the time that we spend together. And obviously this isn't always achievable if we're like spending, say, the whole day together or like, you know, there are going to be some times where that's not the case, but, and that, and that's obviously like natural and normal. I mean, I don't expect everyone I spend time with, you know, to be on D&D, but I think, I think it's just, it means a lot because it is very off-putting to be spending time with someone or having a meal with someone and then looking up to see that they're texting someone else. And I know people have divided opinions about this. Some people may think, well, I 
don't like I have the right to text whoever I want regardless of like who's sitting on the other side of the table and as long as the other person isn't isn't like my partner or isn't like someone I'm married to then I don't really need to announce who I'm texting when I'm with them like it's only going to be a few seconds whereas other people might be like "Mm, like that is extremely disrespectful like I want you know the other person's undivided attention all the time I feel like I sit in the middle with this one I'm like well if I have to text someone and I'm at like at a dinner with one other person then I just say oh sorry I'll be quick I'm just gonna you know respond to this text from my sister and then I don't like, you don't have to say what it's about if you don't want to, but it's just more like a, I'm acknowledging that I am taking a couple of seconds away from our time together to do this. But, you know, as soon as I'm done with this, I'll be, you know, back in the conversation with you. And also it's, it's awkward for the other person because they're sitting there with like someone sitting across from them. But if the other per like if the person texting cannot multitask, then they just have to sit in silence and watch their date or their friend text you know so that's how I feel about that um and the last thing or like the third thing he's so enthusiastic about taking pictures for me so I said that I wanted like a new profile picture um and I didn't feel like I had a nice one so he brought a camera and like this is a a really nice camera um so he could take a dp for me i didn't end up using it though because i was post hike and i was so sweaty and now you know how i feel about you know having yucky hair but it's a thought that counts it was very sweet i feel like wherever we go something we see that's nice he's like "Mm, send it i want to take a picture um and i do the same i love i you know i like taking pictures for him too so mm -hmm. and the last one this is so random but it's quite common, this one. He uses my lingo. So I love it. Like, I love you just when I see my vocab and the concepts that I think about bleed into his vocab. For example, he'd never, I don't think he'd ever heard of girl math before. And I explained it to you. I explained it to him. And then we were on a date and then I saved a few bucks because I didn't park in a paid parking spot and I parked in a free one. And then he said, girl math, you just made money. And oh my God, my body had a physical reaction. I was like, you are learning so fast. It's just, it's fun. It's cute. Or like when I I signed up to a gym and they gave me two weeks free and he was like, um, so technically you just, earned 40 bucks you can spend it on whatever you want and I was like exactly like this is I know this is a concept that you like this is obviously very foreign to the way you think about money like of course this is not how we should think about money and it's more for jokes but the way you're just jumping onto like my jokes and you know my lingo and oh I think it's really cute anyway that's that that's all the information that I'm sharing about this man I hope you enjoyed it um I do love telling you know stories and things so I hope you you liked it as much as I like talking about it before I jump into the substantive I do want to say disclaimer I am not a professional I am not a doctor 
Everything I talk about is purely the witterings of a 21-year-old. So if anything I talk about today feels personal, um, personal to you, and you need real professional advice, please go see your GP, discuss these thoughts with a counsellor, and most importantly, look after your physical and mental well-being. I know that I do give advice here, but this is just advice from my own life and experience. I don't don't want you to ever forego like looking up for real professional advice and listening to this instead like that would please do not do that I would not want that look after yourself first and foremost okay so let's get into it the bar the bar should not be on the floor we should be setting standards for the way that we treat other people and the way that other people treat us. So I'll be talking about that. I'll also be giving you a sneak peek into my little criteria that I have. It's a bit extensive. Potentially, some people may say it's excessive, but I'll give you a little sneak peek. And then also talking about leaving relationships when those standards are not met, because it's a lot easier said than done. And I'll, you know, go through some scenarios or some situations where I think are some signs that, you know, you can think about or we can think about leaving relationships regarding. So, setting the standards. I pulled out in the depths of my desk drawer my little journal from last year. And in the back of it, I'm not even joking, Oh, I'm a little bit embarrassed to share this. I think it's very personal. I've never shared this with a single person in my whole life. And now I am airing it on the pod. But basically, I do have criteria with with friends. I think with friends, it's more um, like a vibe check. And I think it happens over time. And a lot of friendships in my life have blossomed over months or years of just being in like close proximity and connecting well, I think the criteria is a little bit different, even though the, the, the core principles are the same. But I don't have that one written out, probably because I feel like, well, I have more friends than I do experience with romantic partners. So I feel like I definitely am a bit more trusting of my vibe check with friends because... I've made more friends, you know. And also, if a friend is not really passing the vibe check, then I don't feel like that troubled to leave that friendship. But with romantic partners, maybe it's just like the level of commitment and the dynamic is a little bit different. So I really want to, for every partner, like I want it to be a very thoughtful decision. So... I have never seen this done before, which is why I don't know if this is a normal thing or not. But I have one, two, three, four. Okay, five and a half pages. Oh, I'm not going to read out like all of it for two reasons to protect myself and so that like this is not used against me. One, because like. Like, even though this criteria may seem excessive and unattainable, technically each of the dot points are very, it it is like the bar is, it's just the bar. Like the bar is still on the floor. 
Oh, is it on the floor? I don't know. It's just like individually, these qualities are very normal and attainable. It's just that to have someone who meets all of this criteria is um, like, it's difficult to expect someone to be all of these things. So if I tell, like, it just makes me look a little bit mm, like excessive. And the second thing why I probably won't read out everything is you don't really want everyone to know the things you're looking for. And an analogy for this is, you know how some unis don't tell you exactly what they're looking for in the rubric? And they're like, okay, well, you just need to figure it out yourself. It's frustrating as the person writing the essay but it makes sense because it's the the uni's way of saying there are things that I'm looking for in this essay. There are things and these are the things that you should know that I'm looking for. I don't want to tell you that I'm looking for these things. I just want you to inherently have these things, not do these things because you know I'm looking for them. So because some of these also apply to like friendships as well, like I like, I don't want anyone to ever, like, only do these things because they know these things are, like, things that are in, are in my checklist. Like, I want you to naturally have these qualities, you know? Anyway. Any, anyway. I'll just describe the the way I systematically approach this. Oh, my God. I can't, I can't believe I'm doing this. So, there are categories. There are one, two. There are four categories. And... The categories are split up into around like five qualities. Um, the whole thing quantitatively is out of 40 marks. So there's a group called behavior and each of these traits under behavior is worth three marks. So for example, one of them is that they are emotionally and emotionally emotionally available and emotionally vulnerable communicator. So ideally, they would have similar love languages with me. They'd be good at handling stress. They would respond well to feedback. They have a good relationship with their parents and they're emotionally mature. So if they have this trait, it's three marks right and also I just don't have the brain capacity to like do half marks and stuff like how do you even rate someone's emotional availability out of three like I can't give them one mark it's too much so as long as they have all of it it's like all or nothing right so as long as they have all of it they have three marks and so there are five qualities here (laughs) the other one is buys me flowers that's also out of three three marks without being asked to by the way so there are five qualities so this is 15 marks in the behavior section then this is behavior is like their actions. Um, Then there's attitudes. So these are qualities that they have inherently. These are also out of three marks and there are also five. So for example, one of them is loyal. They never have a wandering eye. They never make me feel like I can't trust them. They're open about other girls who might like them and they trust me when I'm going out at night. Next. Next, this section 
each of the qualities here, each of the eight qualities here are out of two marks. The title of this page is called Reasons for Liking Them. So these are the reason why these are less important. Why are why is it less important? I feel like it's just behavior and attitudes are the most important for me and then other qualities that they have that I might be really attracted to, but aren't really like make or break, right? For example, that they're really passionate about social issues and social equality. They're passionate about their work and their hobbies. I mean, like, while it is ideal for them to be a passionate person, it is like a time, it's like second on the tier of things that are important to me. Finally, the last category, logistics. These are all one markers. Think of this as like, in an exam, these are just like the, the multi-choice one markers. Um, there are 10 qualities on this list. Mm, some good examples. One, like one of them is good at housework, can cook and clean. See, like these things I like would be a bonus to have, but not a deal breaker for me at this time. Have a car. Financial compatibility. Um, has a str- the fact that have the fact that has a support network that is like robust outside of me from their family and friends. The fact that that weighs the same as having a car like that makes me laugh a little bit. Um, so that's that's my criteria. I think there are so many pros to this because it is a good reference point and good baseline to work off of because sometimes especially when you not why am I saying you like when I don't really know then I mean gut feeling I'm like yeah like I really like this person but I'm also like hmm what are my standards and like what kind what am I looking for I go back to this once in a while and I'm like "Mm mm-hmm you know what I mean um, do I feel fantastic that like it's quantified? Mm, I mean, like, I don't think the other, I don't know. It's not great, but I mean, how else? Like I so much of chemistry and vibe checks are qualitative. There's, there's not a lot of quantitative. So I feel like this is a way for me to do it. But the flaws, there are so many flaws in this criteria system, this rubric. First of all, the tier thing sort of helps delineate between like deal breakers and bonuses, right? Because in no world would takes initiative to ask me out on dates and, you know, puts effort into our time together. In no way would that score the same as being hygienic, right? Which is a one marker, whereas the takes initiative was a three marker. So while it helps that like, some qualities are valued more than others. There's no system that it's like at minimum how many points in each criteria. Because technically, I don't mind sharing the logistics ones because these, these ones are kind of funny. But like, say there are 10 qualities in here and they have a good relationship with their family. They have a strong, robust network, um, support network. They're friendly and good in social settings. We're financially compatible they have a car, they go to housework, they're hygienic, blah, 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 blah. Like, say they have all of these 10 things, but they, 
in reality, in, in real life, these 10 things would never outweigh being emotionally available, which is only worth three marks, right? Um, while this is not perfect, I would really appreciate suggestions if you have ways for me to, you know, yassify this criteria to improve it, but it, it works for me. And I, it's categorized in a way that is very organized and helps me use it. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's a sneak peek into my criteria. Jokes aside and like, you know, giggles aside, at the end of the day, regardless of whether or not you have a rubric or a mind map or just a mental checklist of the, you know, the things you're looking for, I think essentially because we're all human, we all want to feel cared for, we want to care for another person in a relationship, we are like ultimately perhaps like looking for fulfilling romantically, emotionally and physically for what? That we're looking for romantically, emotionally and physically fulfilling relationships and experiences that are an overall net positive. So when dating in your 20s, I think things like how attractive the other person is, how sophisticated their job is, how much money they make, how cool their friends are. While these things can be very helpful for the first few months of the talking stage, I think they could never outweigh the value and the happiness that comes from being with someone who is consistent with their efforts to give you their time, their attention, affection and energy. And there are relationships where this does not take place. Um, like I'm not saying that relationships can't happen. I'm just saying from my experience as a 21 year old, I think like true happiness comes from having those four main things and sort of what they do for work and how much money they make and whatever. Like that is all that like wears off over time. I feel, I feel like, like even yeah especially like say marriage which is like not a topic that I feel qualified to talk about so I'm just like making a comment but I think it is possible to be in an extremely happy relationship with someone that you're not very like attracted to because like, as long as like they have all the other important things but you know Ideally, like, you do want to be attracted to them, of course. So if anyone here is listening and feels a little bit anxious about never having been in a fully committed relationship before, or I have friends who've been in a plethora of situationships and, you know, flings and things, but have never committed to a relationship before, there is nothing to be anxious about. Um, it's most like the most important things are fantastic chemistry and that takes two and that both of you put effort into each other that also takes two too so as long as you are open to sort of like really good conversations and meaningful connections and you are open to putting in the work and effort into a relationship and if you are looking for a long-term committed relationship, I think 
there's not much to worry about like just be yourself and you'll be fine what does it mean when we're hesitant with someone new are reservations about a relationship always an inherently bad thing we've talked about gut feelings before we've talked about listening to ourselves when we think we want to be in a relationship but we're not actually emotionally available for anything before that was in the grass is greener episode but what about reservations about people when we have reservations about a new relationship should we trust this gut feeling entirely is this our body's way of telling us this person isn't right for us i don't think so i think reservations are inevitable and they'll always be there even if the person is the right person and I think the fact that reservations and sort of hesitancy towards a relationship, the fact that it's always there, it's a good thing. It means we're not going into relationships blind. We're going into them very aware of the weaknesses of the bond, the differences between them and us. And that gives us a chance to voice those concerns with the other person. And depending on how they respond to those things, it also helps us go into it in a way that like we are well informed and we know a lot more about the other person and how they respond to our concerns. Also a quick side note for a public health announcement, get tested and ask your partner to get tested for STIs. No glove, no love um, is what I learned from a close friend of mine and another one taught me don't be silly, wrap your willy. So if you ever forget and you're like, hmm, should I? Yes, you should. Do it. Okay, so we've talked about criteria, the setting standards, having standards and things like that. Next, next stage. What if they don't meet the standards? What if what if they're not ticking the, the three markers off of the behavior section of your criteria? Then we leave. Leaving a relationship requires very many strong qualities for which we should be very proud of ourselves. Things like independence, knowing that we can recover and rebuild the life that we had before, before we met this person, bravery, walking away from a relationship that was good to us in some ways or even many ways, but realistically wasn't a net positive experience. You may be wondering, hmm, what are some good telltale signs that it's the time to leave? Well, here are my thoughts. They're very general thoughts and feelings. They are not specific to anybody. They're just general general, general, hypothetical feelings that any one person could have about any other person that would make them want to leave that dynamic. Doesn't have, it can be romantic. And I think like some of these are probably in the context of romantic relationships, examples, but platonic, even family dynamics. I think like as much as I love my family, I extended family I do not feel bound to them in the way that like traditional Vietnamese people do and 
I think it should like, you know, we should be comfortable living relationships that are, you know, a net negative. Anyway, let's go through. I've written down nine examples. One, and these are relatively self-explanatory, so I haven't got explanations for them. One, when there are more negative experiences than positive ones with this person. Two, when spending time with them feels more like a chore than a good time. Three, when we don't like the version of ourself that we become when we're around them. This one is a little bit more tricky because it requires us to know flaws about ourselves that are dormant and recognize when these come to light, when they come to the surface with specific people. There are qualities of myself that I don't like and they, there are specific people where like being with them sort of encourages me to become this sort of like person that I don't love. Um, it's hard to give examples, but say like we are all inherently nosy, uh, nosy people and gossipy people. Um, but if there are specific people that like really bring out the very nosy and gossipy part of me that I think is very fun in the moment. But then afterwards, like after a lot of like time with them, it gets a little bit, ugh. but like, I don't want to come off as like, mm, I don't gossip because I do. I definitely do. It's just, you know, you know, the vibe, you know, um, next when we have to initiate most of the plans together, when they subconsciously put us down and lower our self-esteem. When they lack independence away from us and rely on us for all their emotional needs, not limited to being their main support network, source of emotional validation, source of quality time and connection. When they do not think about the way their actions make us feel. When they cheat on us. When they pressure us to feel, think, or do things a specific way that doesn't make us feel comfortable. And there are so many, way more things. The list is, the list could be unlimited if you wanted, but those are some that I thought of when I was prepping for this episode. But after you overcome the uncomfortable feelings of leaving a relationship, and standing up for yourself, and there is some time for healing. It feels really good to stand up for yourself. It boosts the image that you have of yourself when you stop tolerate being treated by treated a specific way by friends or your partner, and it is so good for confidence in the long term. And I cannot unpack the psyche of the you know the, the whole psychological experience of breakups in this tiny tiny section that I've got for this episode maybe we can do one episode on breakups but I also don't really want to do that because I don't have enough experience with different types of breakups you know so it would just be more like storytelling from my end but yeah maybe maybe we could do that Okay, next I'm moving on to the region beta paradox. It's an umbrella term for just like 
what is it, the human condition. But I am applying this to a con- the concept of this episode in the context of wanting to leave a relationship because it's not that great, but the difficulties of change and uprooting yourself from the comfortable position of being in that relationship feels worse than this sort of meh relationship that you're in. And ironically, I learned about this context from the man in part one of this episode with whom I'm going on dates with. This happens to be the person who taught me this paradox, which applies to the dilemmas we face when we want to leave a relationship that isn't serving us, but we choose not to. But it makes a lot of sense. So I'll go straight straight into it. There's a quote in Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility that says, she will be more hurt by it, for Robert was always was her favourite. She will be more hurt by it, and on the same principle, will forgive him much sooner. What does this mean? Why is it that we're less likely to leave people who hurt us? I did some research. I'll use a few analogies from Harvard University's D.T. Gilbert's article titled The Peculiar Longevity of Things Not So Bad, published in 2001, that helped me understand it when I was reading and learning about it for this episode. If you'd like to learn more about the actual psychology experiments that help to explain some of these propositions, I will link the article in the show notes if you'd like to read on, on it. But I'll explain the main bits that I took away from the article anyway. So, first analogy. A person who walks three kilometers per hour walks anytime they need to go somewhere that's less than a kilometer away. But if it's more than a kilometer, they'll take their bike, where they can move at 15 kilometers an hour. This means that for all distances that they travel that's less than a kilometer, then longer distance is proportionate to increased time it takes to get there. There's a linear relationship, uh, a positive linear relationship. But paradoxically, if they were to travel 1.1 kilometers, they would take their bike and actually get there quicker than the time it would take for them to travel one kilometer. So now if you imagine the graph of time and distance traveled, it's no longer a straight line that's going up because it will go up from zero kilometers, up, 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 until they travel one kilometer. And then it will immediately go down. Like the time it takes to get there will go down because that's when they take their bike. In this example, the threshold for this person to change their method of transport is one kilometer. So as long as the distance to travel is less than a kilometer, there's nothing that motivates them to go into their shed and take out their bike and helmet instead. And it applies to a lot of areas of life. I'm going to read these passages from the studies, um, from this article verbatim because they're written so well and they make so much sense. Injured people take active steps to speed their recoveries when their injuries are especially severe. Injured people take meds, consult physicians, solicit therapies, and undergo surgeries, but because each of these remedies has its cost, 
in the same way it takes effort to take a bike out of a shed, people are more likely to seek them when they have a heart attack than when they have a hangnail. When people actively adapt their strategies for recovery to the severity of their injuries, they may paradoxically recover more quickly from severe injuries than from mild ones. This is the this is saying this is similar to how it takes less time to travel 1.1 kilometers than one kilometer, even though the distance is further because they've changed method of transport. The next quote. Consider the fact that drivers may avoid long trips because they believe that the odds of being involved in an accident are monotonically related to the time they spend on the road. I believe the word monotonically in this context refers to the positive linear relationship between time spent on the road, on the x-axis, and the risk of being in an accident on the y-axis. If a trip to another state triggers the decision to wear a seatbelt, and a trip around the block does not, the paradoxical consequence is that people may be more likely to sustain injuries in automobile accidents when they are taking short trips rather than long trips. Similarly, partygoers may limit their alcohol consumption because they believe that their blood alcohol levels are monotonically related to the likelihood that they will cause an automobile accident on their way home. And then this example goes into, like, if you drink a lot, in this case, if you consume a pitcher of martinis, then there are interventions that, go, that are in place to make sure that you don't drive drunk. That might be, you know, someone steals your car keys and they call you um, an Uber home. But if you've had two glasses of Chardonnay, you're not visibly drunk drunk. And those actions that are put in place to, that would have like stopped you from driving aren't put in place. So with this example, paradoxically, you are safer when you've consumed a lot more alcohol than when you've consumed less in terms of drink driving or like the, the likelihood that someone would drink drive. The ease with which examples such as these are generated highlights the ubiquity of the region B paradox in everyday life as well as the potential dangers of ignoring it. While this theory is extraordinarily general, I don't think it became irrelevant in our application to the example of wanting to leave a relationship in any way, because sometimes a relationship can be unfulfilling. For example, and hypothetically, say they're not enjoyable to spend time with, they complain a lot, they expect us to spend more time with them, even if it's not realistic with our given schedule. They expect that you make an effort with their family, but they don't make an effort with yours. These things are like little things that can bother you, but they never cross the threshold that is required to make us want to pack our bags, leave the relationship, and go through the unsettling and uncomfortable changes of being newly single, i.e., they do a lot of things that bother us, but they never do something that's a complete deal breaker, like cheat on us or hurt our feelings in a way that is excruciatingly pain and unforgivable. So what's the solution? Leave before they reach the threshold. If we've brought up these issues in discussions with our partner that go unattended to and unsolved, don't wait for the threshold to be met to leave. 
I think that's probably why I have this extensive criteria because this makes me realize well it, the, none of these are deal breakers that like they should not have it's all like things that I'd like them to have you know um so just being a bit more cognizant of what we want in our partner is very helpful because you're more likely to leave if you're more likely to end things if you don't really feel like they're meeting that criteria um you best believe you will never catch me experience the beta region paradox in that example with the walking versus biking because I drive everywhere. I used to live in high school 200 meters down the road from my school and I would be driven and dropped off every day, almost every day. My, my gym now is a 10 minute walk and I drive some of the days. As long as the roads are drivable and do not require me to drive into the CBD, I will drive. Think of it as like my way of retaliating against this theory. I've been doing it for years. I've just, well before I even knew what it was. So that was the episode. Thank you for listening. I really enjoyed recording this. I hope that you got something out of it or you just were entertained by it. I know that there are people who run when they listen I know there are people who gym when they listen um someone listens like someone stews brews a cup of herbal tea and listens so whatever you're doing I hope that you enjoyed my company thank you for tuning in this week I'll see you next time bye